0: Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker,
1: musician, former professor, and the host of Love & Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril.
0: Welcome to Love & Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I would love to date and then marry a man with narcissistic personality disorder, said no one ever. But yet, it happens more often than we'd like. I hear from so many of you that you found yourself in a relationship with a narc, being abused emotionally, psychologically, and sometimes physically. How did it happen? And more importantly, How do you leave? Won't he escalate the abuse? And how do you co-parent with a narc if there are children involved? When Tina Swithin of One Mom's Battle reached out to share her journey, I was so pleased to interview her about all of the above because I knew how valuable her experience would be for those of you in our community who've suffered at the hands of a narcissist. She's here today to share the red flags she unfortunately ignored when dating, how she finally woke up to the reality that she was married to a narc, and what she did to extricate herself from the marriage while protecting her daughters. Tina not only survived marriage to a narcissist, she's absolutely thriving. She's taken the wisdom she gained through this horribly painful season of her life and now provides consultation and care for others via her High Conflict Divorce Coaching. The need for her services was so vast, she now trains others to become high-conflict divorce coaches. Here's a little bit more about Tina. Tina Swithin is the author of Divorcing a Narcissist book series and founder of One Mom's Battle and the High Conflict Divorce Coach Certification Program. Tina Swithin continues to champion children's rights through her family court advocacy She's working to raise awareness of the issues in the family court system and to educate the general public on post-separation abuse and narcissistic abuse. Highly praised and respected from those in the legal field and the field of psychology, Tina has been featured in many publications and also on the Today Show. My interview with Tina Swithin of One Mom's Battle, right after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single as the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Tina, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today.
0: I'm really excited to have you. The work that you do is this blend of your personal experience, which then has now informed your professional career. And I think it's such a beautiful place to be because the people you work with will know that you get it. You have literally been there, you have experienced that. And what you've been through and the books that you've written and what you've shared with your community, all has to do with something that I hear a lot about from with women in my community and men too for sure. But uh, even back in my master's in clinical psych, when I was learning about personality disorders, typically we saw that narcissists were men and borderline personality disorder tended to be women. And we could go into an explanation of what that's about, which I'm not sure if anyone knows for sure, but you have had that experience of being in a relationship with a narcissist, exiting that relationship, and then trying to share with Anyone who needs that word from someone who really understands, share a little bit about your personal story, if you would, and then how that has led into what you do now in your professional work.
1: Absolutely. It was about year seven of my marriage, and every red flag, every, you know, we, we can look back and hindsight is 2020. I got to a place where my brother came to visit, and he looked at me and he said, What is going on? I'm not buying, you know, this facade that you're putting on. Your your spark is gone. I don't even recognize you. Wow. And my ex-husband and I were very known in our local business community. And, you know, I thought I was, you know, putting on a good front. And it was being called out on that that ended me up in a therapist office. And I had been begging my husband for over a year to go to therapy with me and he refused, you know, it was, it was my problem. You know, I came from the broken home, had all the baggage, Um, all of these issues belonged to me. And I got to the point where I thought, you know what, maybe he's right. And, uh, went to a therapist had my first consultation, and I emotionally vomited all over her (laughs) office for an hour and a half. And towards the end, she gets up, walks across the room, comes back and has me read an excerpt. And it was about narcissistic personality disorder. And she said, you know, I, I can't diagnose this person, obviously, but what you're describing to me sounds like This is the type of person you're married to. And you are a victim of domestic violence. And when I heard those words, it was a mixed bag. It was, you know, I was so hopeful that thankfully we have a label for this. Now let's fix it. And, you know, she looked at me like, "Eh, you either accept that this is your life or you leave because there's no fixing this. I really struggled with the label of victim of domestic violence. That was a big gut punch for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like so many victims of narcissistic abuse, I actually, you know, so naive. I went home and I told my husband, I said, I am so excited. She said, you're a narcissist. And so we (laughs) need to look into this. This was back in 2009, no, eight, when there was nothing out there on this topic. And so I just want to go back in time and hug myself, like, oh, you sweet thing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. And I remember him reading about it, what I showed him. And he said, you know, that sounds just like my dad, but that's not me. And in my Mm. mind, I'm like, okay, we've made progress because he and his dad are the same person. And so if he's acknowledging that this is his dad, we've moved mountains already. And things only lasted about six months after that because I started having my awakening. And I remember the therapist telling me, You're experiencing gaslighting. You need to write down conversations. You need to write down things that happen so you can go back and know that you are not crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And and that was such a huge, pivotal point for me in life.
0: Well, I can imagine it was all the things you just described. It was, wait a minute, that's not me. But then, wait, yeah, that is me. And then that naive hope, which of course anyone would be. A seven-year marriage, you fell in love with this man Things were very, very bad at the point where your brother's like, what's going on here? But you still, you loved this man and you wanted it to work. And I think you just, you describe in the narc decoder, you talk about the projection and deflection. And when you have been inundated with projection and deflection for so long, I think most women were raised to be nurturing, were raised to be sensitive, and it's probably partly biological as well. We can look at nature and nurture with this conversation. But you wanted to be thoughtful and reflect. And so when he's projecting what he's doing onto you, you go, well, wait, maybe that is me. So you had essentially, like you talked about gaslighting, seven years of being gaslit and still believing and hoping that there's something to salvage here. I can imagine it was the rug had been pulled out from under you. And as in so many of our life crises, it was really the first step toward hope and healing and recovery and the next part of your life, which was going to be so much better. But initially, you're going to fall to the floor in a heap and go, what the heck just happened to me?
1: And back then, you know, I when I look at that period of my life and all of his lies and the facade and the deceptions were all had all caught up with him, you know, the next stage of that was finding out that we were over a million dollars in debt. Oh which goodness. I still to this day, 12 years later, cannot grasp that number. But, you know, like so many survivors, I was a victim of severe financial abuse. And a lot of people struggle, you know, who knew me back then going, you drove a Mercedes, you, you know, lived in this huge home. And and I tell people that was my fake fancy life. I mm-hmm. truly It was all a facade. He had been moving money around, borrowing from one to pay another. And I truly believed that we did have this level of wealth that, you know, I was in the dark because, yes, I had access to credit cards and, you know, wasn't given a $200 a month budget. But, you know, that was all part of his, you know, his ego and his image were so tied into what we had and the material possessions. So, you know, in a six-month period of time, I went from hearing those three words that changed my life, narcissistic personality disorder, to finding out we were almost a million dollars in debt, the IRS showing up at my door, freezing all of our assets, losing our businesses, splashed across the newspaper, you know, headlines, our, our complete downfall, And, you know, I I had resigned to, I'm just going to live off. It was Girl Scout cookie season. I remember thinking, I'm just going to live off Girl Scout cookies and wine and uh, never (laughs) leave my house again. (laughs) I'm mortified. You know, once his material world collapsed, things got really dark and really scary in my life. And I had two little girls. They were two and four at the time. And we actually ended up in the women's shelter. And talk about humbling. It was a place I had volunteered resources and time for many years. So to find myself there, you know, I was still coming to grips with that label that I was a victim or a, you know, an abuse, a, a domestic violence victim. That was really difficult because I didn't have bruises, I had never been hit. Um, it was a lot to absorb. That started my, that, that week started my family court journey. And so it started off, as I describe, as a Category 5 divorce hurricane.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's that there, but by the grace of God go I, right? Where right. all of a sudden this shelter that you had supported, now you had to use yourself for safety and protection. It's, I'm struck by how that would have felt, In the sense of, wow, everything that I thought was true was a charade. It was all a lie. And I'm sure that that was so devastating on an emotional level. And then, of course, your mama bear trying to protect your daughters and then trying to sort through. And I remember in the book, you said that even when you guys were separated initially, you still had this notion of maybe you could still be friends. There was this, again, it's just probably that level of understanding of what you're really dealing with with a narcissist.
1: Yeah, because back then, you know, again, there was nothing on the topic. And so I was truly, you know, there was a part of me that was optimistic that maybe we were just toxic together. And, you know, I had hope because... Well, before I understood how toxic narcissists were, I, you know, was almost hopeful that he would have to step up to the plate if we were separated and be a dad to these little girls because prior to that, I considered my nanny, my co-parent in our marriage. You know, I would never have thought to ask him, you know, hey, I have a meeting, can you play with the girls? I would have always reached out to our nanny. And so you know, his involvement in their lives were whenever there were people watching. Now I can look back and see it as clear as day. Mm-hmm. And and his excuses were, you know, he's a workaholic. He is a triathlete. So he's got that he has to keep up with. And, and I just thought he was an uninvolved father. But looking back, it was impressing people. And whenever there was a camera on, whether it was a video camera or a still camera, that was his parenting. And so there was a part of me, you know, no I I never intended for my daughters to grow up in a two family household, but I I had some hope that he would have to step up to the plate and be the dad that they deserved. And so there was a part of me that was actually looking forward to the co-parenting part of things because I wanted them to have two parents. It was never my desire to keep my my daughters from him until once everything fell apart that mask wasn't even you know remotely on anymore he had set it down and and it became really scary
0: oh i can imagine it was terrifying because and this is something just having studied this in my clinical psych training that the narcissist is going to lash out with whatever nastiness they need to protect their own sense of self and identity. And it's heartbreaking to go through that sort of thing. And it's also inspiring to hear where you are now. Before we go to the next step of this story, if you don't mind, just because so many of the women who are listening are on the dating scene, if you don't mind sharing some of the red flags that maybe you missed? What was causing you to perhaps move forward with the relationship? Maybe even when you were dating, what caused you to miss those red flags or to deny that they were there? And the reason I ask you this is to provide my community with some tools for if they're in a relationship and they're questioning, is this guy a narcissist? Is this something that we can grow as a couple together and move through this? Is it just baseline selfishness? What would you say to a a young woman dating or a An older woman dating that she needs to be aware of to make sure she doesn't end up married to
1: an arc. So, in hindsight, I call them my red flag reflections. Mm. The number one would have been the love bombing. I was twenty six at the time, and I had, you know, I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional, toxic childhood, and you know there was a lot of addiction and abuse and so my foundation in itself was pretty you know rocky but i had dated prior to that bad boys you know the the band guys with the long hair and and you know and had some some pretty toxic relationships and I got to the point where I said, I, I'm going to break cycles. And I went to a therapist back then. I was about 24. And she said, I'll work with you, but I want a commitment from you. You won't date for a year while we do this work together. And I said, Sign me up. And so I had been, you know, single for about a year and a half, really working on myself. This guy shows up in my life. And, It was different than anything I had experienced before the poetry, the the flowers delivered, you know, within 24 hours of meeting him to my job, you know, and coming out to my car and finding a poem on my car, you know, on week one. All of these things. I remember at one point saying, you know, I've never been to Portland, Oregon. I would love to visit Portland. And the next day he bought tickets for us to fly up to Portland. And back then my 26 year old self was just thinking, this is what it's like to date a man. I'm in my first adult relationship, but there was Mm -hmm. something weird. You know, I just had this, you know, it's again, it's that intuition that we silence. And I remember just thinking, I'm not attracted to him. There is just something that I, I can't really put into words, but, you know, it's my my body, my mind telling me something's off. And I remember talking to my therapist about it. And she actually said to me, you know, you've never had healthy before. You're not accustomed to healthy. And so maybe this is something, you know, do you think pushing through this would be you know, what's in order. And so I kind of overrode all of my instincts. There were some other red flags. He would put people down, but it was, and and sometimes incorporate me into that. I had been an entrepreneur since I was 14. That was my life path. I bypassed college. I've always owned my own businesses going back to high school. And he would he would judge and put people down who didn't have a degree that he felt was worthy, or they hadn't gone to a college that he felt was prestigious enough. And so he would put people down, but then he would say, But you're different. You know, you you went a different path and your life experiences make you who you are. But I still felt those put downs because it was in such a passive aggressive way. So there were lots of things like that, a lot of judgment, a lot of, and now I see it as complete arrogance, better than everyone. You know, he used his family image, they were the Catholic family with the four sons and pillars of the community. And and then he would talk about my broken family life and how his parents weren't going to be super accepting of our relationship. And it was implied because of how I grew up. And and so there were all kinds of things like that that would just, you know, they would sting when they would first hit. But then he was so good at, you know, I, I do believe narcissists come in and try to be the band-aid for our past hurts but then they have that control and they can rip the Band-Aid off and leave you bleeding at any point. And so it was just a lot of these odd dynamics that I had never experienced before.
0: And the love bombing, I think is so key. And I speak to that a lot with my community that even though initially it feels so great and I caution the women in my community to remember that Someone who's coming on so strong, coming on too strong, too fast, he can't possibly know who you are. So although it might be tempting to feel flattered, he doesn't know you to be gushing over you this much. You know how great you are, but he doesn't know how great you are yet. And so we can get caught up and not see that that's a manipulation. And also, as he started to subtly start to and then more overtly talk about how your family was so messed up and he was going to be the one to save the day and save you. I always caution women to be careful about divulging. And I'm not saying that you did this, but sometimes when people want to get to that fast track of intimacy and share some of their hurts and their woundedness, I'm worried that those predators are going to then try to use that. Initially, it seems like, oh, we bonded on sharing our what we went through. But later, someone who's a predator is going to use that against you and then begin to subtly shame you and then overtly shame you and create this dynamic that makes you feel inferior within the relationship
1: right right and that's exactly how it happened you know i have described it as i almost feel like he had a mental spreadsheet in his mind where he was listing you know one by one all of my weaknesses all of my pain points and initially You know, being my savior, but then over time, it was almost as that became his playbook on how to inflict the most pain, and it's truly, you know, a sick dynamic. But when you're in it, and you know, so many people who are victims of this type of person, we see the best in people. We give the benefit of the doubt, and especially when that love bombing is coming at you to where you truly don't even have time to think. You know, for me, looking back, I can imagine if I would have put a boundary up. I always tell people, you know, when you put a boundary up and you're gauging how someone reacts to that, tells you a lot about that person. And, you know, and, and I wish I would have realized what a red flag it is when somebody doesn't put a boundary up. Like I remember saying to him that I had plans one day when we first met and that I was going to be unavailable. And, and he would, you know, was sending text messages and emails. And I was like, well, wait, like I, I told you, I communicated that I wasn't going to be present today. But, you know, that should have served as a red flag back then.
0: Those boundaries are so critical, like you said, that we need to implement them, especially women who might be, unfortunately, the ones that these types of individuals are going to prey upon. They are nurturing. They do want to be sensitive, give the benefit of the doubt. But when we put up a boundary for something very benign, like, oh, I'm not available today, See how he responds? A narcissist right. is not going to honor that boundary. They're going to make you feel bad for establishing it. They're going to try to make you feel bad anyway. They're going to violate that boundary even if it means just blowing up your phone throughout the day when you may have said something like, "Well, I'm going to go get a mani-pedi with the girls," instead of allowing you and honoring you that time to be an individual with an individual life and individual independent relationships. They're going to violate that. That's why it's so important that we take that time when dating to see how this person responds to who we are and to be careful that we don't look at them with who we wish they would be, but to see who they're presenting themselves to be. If you're into personal development, if you geek out on psych research, and if you're looking to level up in all realms of love and life, a love and life support group is for you. In love and life groups, you'll enjoy the camaraderie of connecting with like-minded women. You'll feel encouraged and empowered by others endeavoring to thrive in all realms of love and life. We all know there's strength in numbers, so join us for deep conversations designed to provide healing and promote growth. Head over to my website for more details. And Tina, something else you mentioned I wanted to circle back to would be, you noted that you weren't attracted to him. Everything he was presenting, especially initially, he's so romantic with the poem and the car and and let's go to Portland. But you said there was a part of you that wasn't feeling attracted to him. And as women do so often, we stuff that intuition because we go, well, it looks good on paper. I can't pinpoint why this feels off. Goodness. I mean, we've all been there in one way, shape or form as women who are our age, trying to support the younger generation and remind them that our intuition is a gift. It is a gift that we need to listen to. Even if we don't have all the facts and the logic behind it, at least give it its due. And then be sure to view what we're seeing and honor our own intuition in that process. So when you weren't attracted to Him, what did that mean? Was it just... Part of his, as you started to see his arrogance and him being so critical of all these other people, it started feeling icky to you? Or was it even on the physical level, like he should be handsome to me. He should be attractive to me, but I'm just not feeling it.
1: I think the latter part, you know, it was it was very much even in the beginning the thought I remember thinking, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't try to kiss me because Mm. I just there is no no attraction to him whatsoever. Mm. But and then him presenting to me how, you know, he is still good friends with all of his ex-girlfriends. They have great relationships. And and I just kept thinking this guy seems like such an amazing guy and then having my therapist tell me that you know trying to understand why i wasn't i I truly absorbed that that i wasn't attracted to him because he was healthy and i had never experienced healthy before so i owned that that this was my issue to push through, to work through, and I've talked to that particular therapist about it. She's read my books, and 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 she's you right. know says uh, unless a mental health professional has you know specifically studied this or personally experienced it, there is a lack of training on you know what this looks like, and so you know she's learned a lot from my experience because she had never personally experienced a narcissist in her life. And so she did not even, you know, understand what the red flags are. But, you know, I, I do feel like I went into it, you know, with such a broken foundation, that I I constantly have always felt like it's me, you know, I'm the problem. And so I kind of uh, brushed right past that uh, intuition that maybe my body was actually telling me, run, (laughs) this guy is, you know, you're not attracted to him because he's dangerous.
0: And I want to underscore all of this because it's a question I get asked a lot. People will say, am I not feeling it with this guy because I've always been attracted to the bad boys as you spoke to and I can't find myself attracted to the nice guy. Should I push through? And I'm always so cautious because I'm always so concerned that when we do that, we're, we're not honoring what our gut is telling us. And of course, the research now is there's a body of work in physiological psych and, and, and other realms looking at the gut as our second brain. It, it possesses neurotransmitters. It's telling us something really powerful. But I understand where you're coming from when you go, well, yeah, but my family, there was some dysfunction. I didn't see a good model. It's probably me just still wanting that excitement with the bad boy. So when a good guy who's buying me flowers and writing me poetry and taking me on trips, when he's available, I'm not into it. And it just troubles me so much because I know it's so hard for people to suss that out. How do we figure right. it out? and then with your therapist and again, I, I hear you not trying to throw her under the bus, but that's hard too because you're like I'm seeing a professional, my professional is telling me to push through this uh, so I'm really glad you're sharing that so candidly. I appreciate it because I want people to at least consider and actually, I'm just not a fan of people trying to push through if you're not if you're not sexually and romantically attracted to someone i Getting married is not a plan. I mean, I just, it's just not, but I understand how someone can get to that point and go, well, it's me and my broken background. And this is what is really good for me. I just can't feel it, but that's because of all that I've been through with the dysfunction that I've experienced. I don't have a good sense of what is healthy. If I did, I'd be madly in love with this guy.
1: Right. And I think that we're under, you know, the society gaslights us into, you know, when you meet someone and there's fireworks and sparks flying and, and all of that. And so we get conditioned that that is what we're looking for. And when you have, when we're in a world with so many people, you know, regardless of if they're diagnosable or just have super high traits, you know, Mm -hmm. that may not be the best, you know, image that we're looking for. And I, I am remarried and my husband and I have been together for 12 Twelve years now almost 12 years and it's uh you know it was very different that relationship and it's a very healthy relationship but did I see the fireworks and the sparks no I mean we truly started off as good friends and built on that and and gave me opportunities to put up boundaries and see how he reacted and um you know I'm still haven't found a red flag <laughs> so yeah. there are great humans out there you know it's it's a matter of truly going deep and listening to our intuition i that's such an important part
0: yes it is and i'm so thankful that we're seeing more and more research that's substantiating that that this kind of women's intuition is not just something that our grandmothers told us it really is now we're finding that there's scientific basis for it. And for it gives us more, I think, confidence to trust that gut that, that what our gut's telling us. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple podcasts, giving us a five star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the love and life family. So Tina, after you went through this, you went through then a career change. You talked about you'd been an entrepreneur, you had a PR job, and then you moved to divorce coach, obviously wanting to share with others what you learned through this really, really difficult time, difficult season in your life. So share with us a little bit about that transition and then what sorts of services you offer for someone else who might be struggling with co-parenting with a narcissist, for example.
1: So my journey has been incredibly organic. I never set my sights on, hey, I'm going to, you know, go out and be a divorce coach. It it happened in stages. Originally because of the financial abuse, I was forced to represent myself, act as my own divorce attorney throughout my decade long battle, which I was not equipped to do. I was not qualified to do, but I had no other options. I was at the point where I was literally driving to food pantries to feed my little girls. I found out what rock bottom truly is when you divorce a narcissist. And, you know, he. His goal was to completely destroy me, and he did financially. So my journey started off trying to represent myself, protect my little girls in family court, and there's no rule book for that. So a lot of trial and error, and I started watching court proceedings to learn more about the system because I was so desperate and so I would go sit in court on my lunch breaks, on any days off that I had, and, and studying the system, the players, the judges, the attorneys, how they presented things, but I would also start studying other cases That were like mine. So if I saw a case in family court, I would go look that case number up and I would really look at all of their filings, what case law they were uh, referencing. And sometimes I would chase moms out into the hallway and say, hey, (laughs) this sounds crazy. We have a lot in common. Can we go to lunch? And I started connecting with other moms in my community and kind of helping each other and, and explaining to them, there's a lot of strategy involved in this. You know, when we're leading with emotions, we're going to have our butts handed to us in that courtroom. And, And so really, back then, there was no such thing as a divorce coach. But I started having people in my community reach out to me and ask for support or advice or what would you do? And so that started growing. I got to a point where I decided to start a blog mainly because I wanted an area for my friends and family to follow my story. I bought the domain name one mom's battle because at the point, that point I felt like the only person in the world going through something this extreme. And I was kind of I, I would say discovered by Christy brinkley who was also going through a divorce with a narcissist and so she really put me on the radar and started talking about my blog and encouraged me to write a book and so i kind of got thro- thrust into the spotlight on this topic and there got to a, i got to a point where i had successfully protected my kids and then people who I would help would say you need to start charging people for what you're doing this you're you're onto something here you know there is no one else doing this and and so I you know I I took a huge leap of faith and left my career in PR and decided to start doing this full time so you know coaching consulting people And over the years, that has evolved to the point where I can't keep up. You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of us out there educating on these topics, but very few people, you know, who are talking about the family court aspect, the co parenting aspect. And a lot of the advice that we learn in general about how to deal with a narcissist actually ends up hurting people in family court because those boundaries we put up or using gray rock communication in court, it makes us appear cold and rigid and uncompromising. And so it can have a really negative effect on people's cases and and their child custody situations. So, you know, I organically tapped into this um, very needed niche and now I as I transition into advocacy and and trying to get involved in legislative change to protect children I have started a coach training program called the High Conflict Divorce Coach Certification Program, where I've brought together experts from all over the world on these topics. And it's an eight week program. I'm training others to take their life experiences similar to mine and so many others and use it to help other people and create a career.
0: That's amazing, it sounds so sorely needed. You mentioned gray rock communication and some of the techniques that you learn to manage a relationship that you're co-parenting. There's going to be some level of remaining relationship, but that doesn't work well in the courts. Another thing from your book that I remember you saying that when you are living with a narcissist, you can get so worn down that then you can be seen by the courts as the person who's the unstable party. And so how do you, first of all, let us know what gray rock communication is for anyone who's unfamiliar with some of the strategies for managing a relationship with a narc. And then also how do we help women who have felt so beaten down to then be able to demonstrate to the courts that they are in fact capable and they are not in fact strong?
1: So gray rock communication is essentially being so boring that you you resemble a gray rock personality-wise. You're not emotional, you're not triggered by this person, you're not giving them the feed that they want. Again, you know, that can really make us look like part of the problem that we, you know, I I tell my clients, if I can read your email communication and walk away with the impression that you don't like this person, that's the impression the court is going to have of you, and they really don't care. The court doesn't care what happened in the past. All they care about is how you're showing up now as a co-parent and how you're trying to, you know, promote the other parent's relationship with the kids until the court catches up with the research that these people are dangerous, there's an expectation that two parents are better than one no matter what. I don't agree with that, but it is the reality. You know, that's where that radical acceptance can come into play. It's not, I don't agree with it, but it is how it is right now. You know, it's it's really us... For me, it was having a full support system, whether it's survivor groups, um, you know, leaning into experts like yourself who really have a, a grasp on what this is and educating ourselves so that and finding the support, therapists, friends, family, whatever that is, so that you have those outlets to, you know, decompress and to share what's going on. But when you walk into court, it's, you know, you have to keep in mind that they don't know either party so you're both under a microscope and while you know you're the healthy parent the court doesn't know that and for all they know you are the problem and so that's where There's not a lot of room for error in our communication, in how we show up in the courtroom. And so for a while, it can feel like, you know, fake it until you make it. You're almost role playing when you walk into that court. But it's tapping into who I authentically am as a co-parent, as a person. I know, you know, if I had another healthy parent on the other end, I would be a fantastic co-parent. And so not giving the narcissist so much power to affect how we show up when people are watching and observing and and tra- tapping into our authentic selves, showing who I am as a person, who I am as a co-parent, and unfortunately gray rock doesn't allow us to do that. So I created something I refer to as yellow rock communication. It's still the same you you know you're still a boy gray rock, but it's got a touch of yellow, which is politeness and common courtesy and the ability to show the court who we are. So that's one of the communication styles that I promote when somebody is co-parenting or divorcing a narcissist and children are involved.
0: What you offer is so critical because no one's learning this outside of this context. And like you said, it's really more recently that any of this has even come into the public space. I mean, I learned about narcissists because I was getting a master's in clinical psychology, right? But who would know that unless you've experienced it, sadly, or unless you've done a lot of research. And so your work is trying to bring some of these strategies and these tools to public awareness so that people can try to make the best of it as they move away to embrace their new life, but also trying to manage the court system, which is complex anyway. Again, people (laughs) have gone to law school, right? And here you were advocating for yourself, serving as your own lawyer, essentially. So I really appreciate what you're bringing and what you're letting us know. As we wrap up, Tina, what are your recommendations for someone who says, yeah, I'm doing everything I can for my kids, but then they spend time with their dad and then they come back to me And it's like, he's been brainwashing them. And there is that reality of he is going to be part of their lives for the rest of their lives, even though he is very, very sick, fundamentally sick. And personality disorders, I don't know what it's currently understood because I know the DSM-5 has kicked in and I'm not currently in clinical practice. But when I was a therapist, they were known to be very resistant to change. Like we talked about earlier in this episode, you We're like, oh, honey, you have a narcissistic personality disorder. And so we can work on this. Yeah, there's no working on this for the most part. This is, is, I mean, I hate to be so negative. It sounds so defeatist, but people who have this are going to have this typically because they have no interest in changing. I mean, they could change if they wanted to, but they don't. So what do you say to parents who go, how do I co-parent with someone who's just so unhealthy?
1: Right. So the, you know co-parenting you have to show up as a healthy co-parent for the under the watchful eye of the court your mentality is almost along the same lines as the gray rock communication where you know mentally you're almost parallel parenting with this person to you know protect yourself and and mentally but you know the the most important part is how we show up for the kids because i am a firm believer that Even with the dysfunction of the narcissist or the sociopath or whatever borderline, whatever you're up against, if we are, you know, our rock for our kids, they can come through this and, you know, be healthy. And so for me, uh, during those times when my kids would come home and they would just unravel, I had to shift my thinking, you know, looking at it as in it is a weird honor (laughs) that they feel safe enough to unleash or, un, you know, they're like little pressure cookers over there. They, it's not a safe environment for them to feel or express. And so when they come home, just expecting that 24 hour or 48 hour period where it's a blessing that i they do feel safe enough to expand and, and show all of these emotions with me and, and giving them that time and that space. But then also working with them in general to know what boundaries are, to Know what intuition is and red flags are, never pointing the finger at the other, you know, parent. You don't ever want a bad mouth. However, in general, you know, using everyday conversations, movies that they've watched, interactions in restaurants, how somebody speaks to a waitress or a waiter, that that's a red flag for me when someone talks to another person that way, and, and instilling in them all of those life skills and, and resources that I didn't. Have. Have so that when they go out into the world, they can recognize healthy versus unhealthy.
0: That's so wise. And again, a bit of a silver lining, like you said, it's an honor for them to unload with you and that they do feel safe with you. And another silver lining, which I just always think it's helpful to try to find, is that this arrangement has given you and then what you share with others who are in your community. It's a really amazing opportunity to teach healthy interpersonal relationships to a degree that we just don't typically do. We just kind of assume we'll learn that through modeling and we'll just see that. But again, the modeling isn't always so great. So it's a really very intentional. Let's look at what ways we could respond that would help us maintain our own emotional health and well-being to construct boundaries, to realize that we don't want to turn over our power to someone else. We want to not be reactive, but we respond. That's something that I think most parents probably maybe don't have the time to do or don't even think to do unless they are presented with a situation like this.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So Tina, I want to thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate all the valuable information you've shared with my community. Let people know where to follow you or how they can work with you. If you want to talk about your books or whatever you'd like to leave them with as far as how they can connect with you further.
1: Absolutely. My books are all available on Amazon. I have four adult books, and then I have a a book for children called Lemonade Life. OneMomsBattle.com is my main website. I offer online courses on communicating in a co-parenting setting for court-related purposes, mediating with a narcissist, my documentation system, which is what I credit with my children being safe today. I cannot emphasize the importance of solid documentation. And then also I have the High Conflict Divorce Coach Certification Program. If anyone is wanting to use their experience, you know, to, to give back and help others and develop a career.
0: That's amazing. I am so thrilled to be able to share your really important work with my community. Thank you so much, Dina.
1: Thank you. Have a great day. You as well.
0: The love and life hack for this week is trust your gut especially when it comes to love. The adage is nothing new, but it's always relevant. And time and time again, we find our gut never leads us astray. Thanks as always for joining us today. I hope Tina's wisdom has felt encouraging and inspiring for you. This month is Family Court Awareness Month. So if you're dealing with custody and the court system, please check out Tina's website, OneMomsBattle.com, for more information and support. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abrel. And until next time, make it a great week.